Welcome in. It's uh, episode number five of the Gas Cast. We we took a we you know, we did four episodes and then we all decided we needed a week's vacation. I mean, because four that's an awful lot. That is a damn load of work. And so we took a week off, uh, and now we're refreshed and we are ready to uh, to have a, a lengthy chat with our very special guest tonight, Russ Fletcher. Former Sounders broadcaster. Still weird for me to say that. We're going to talk to Ross in just a few minutes. A couple of quick notes before we get into it. Uh, Sounders get a win. Yeah, we take a week off, they get a win. So they finally got their uh, their act together there. Uh, Clint Dempsey goal and I think the 79th minute. Does that sound right? They beat Montreal and, uh, and get a 1-0 win. Much needed. Much needed win. Uh, for the Sounders who were, you know, spinning and 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 I'll tell you, and I think we're gonna talk with Ross about this. You know, the West, it's too early to be thinking about playoff scenarios, but the Western Conference of this league has always been a little tougher anyway, at least since the Sounders came in, and it's tough again this year. And this, it's no foregone conclusion for the Sounders. So they need to get points wherever they can. That was a very, very big match for them. Uh, another interesting thing that happened, and I don't know how much we'll talk about this, so we, we may not talk about it with Ross, but I just wanted to weigh in. The the New England-New York game, a uh, big controversial goal that the Revolution scored to win that uh, after uh, uh, Kamara Lawrence fell to the ground with a knee injury, and uh, with him writhing in agony and pain, the Revolution scored. There's some people say, hey, they should the match should have been stopped. The referee could have stopped it. Some people say that sportsmanship-wise, the Revolution could have kicked the ball out of bounds, and that would have stopped it. And Red Bull's coach, Jesse March, he he went so far, because it's the only goal of the match, and it scored with a guy injured right in front of the goal. March said, it's shameful. This game is supposed to have honor. And the first thing I thought, and I've talked about this a lot over the last few years as I've done a lot of soccer shows, you're right, it is supposed to have honor. So where's the honor in the 15 times a game where guys fall down and act like they've been shot by a sniper and they're faking their injury and they're writhing around and they're killing time late in a match where the team has a lead, all of a sudden everybody gets a cramp in their hamstring. I mean, I agree in theory, but this is a part of the game. And unless they want to legislate and, and do something when these guys writhe around in agony for 90 seconds and then pop up and run off like nothing happened. If there's going to be no ramification for that, then I'm sorry. If I'm attacking and there's a guy down, I'm not kicking the ball out of bounds. It's not my job to help your injured player there. I'm trying to score a goal. And 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 granted, if a guy's injured, and, and in this case it seems as if he was, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of that, but I think there is so much phoniness in so many of the the, uh, the the times when people fall down, that who's to say when a guy is actually hurt versus when a guy is either just – and granted, in a, in a tie game, you wouldn't be trying to waste time. I, I get some of those things. But I just think that if you're, if you're going to allow this, this theater to exist, then it's going to extend all the way out, and there's times where it is indeed going to burn you. Uh, open Cup draw, uh, as we record this, the Open Cup draw has not happened. Uh, we will have the draw by next week. And I don't think the the MLS teams I don't think join the fray until June, I believe, into the fourth round. So we're we're not as concerned about that yet. But it'll be interesting to see where some of the clubs land uh, as we get into the U.S. Open Cup. And so episode five of the Citizen Sounder Gas Cast continues. Now we've been looking forward to this one. Uh, he only comes out at night these days. Uh, the, there's been controversy in his life. Uh, we're we're as we record. Episode 5, we're at a nondescript location on the north side of Seattle. No one is allowed to know 
where Ross Fletcher is for security reasons. Smuggled right? in. That's a smuggled in. You don't know where you are right now. We've got this is about as nondescript as you can imagine. And we we do this. It's almost dark out even just because Ross has to move stealthily these days as a former voice of the Seattle Sounders, which still sounds weird. It's great to see you, my friend. You too. And first time we've talked in this kind of a setting for a while. Bring I know you're doing a, a handful of national. I, I turned on the telly, as as your people are, are so uh, fond of saying. I turned on the telly one morning, and I'm like, what the hell? That's Ross Fletcher, and you were doing, I think it was a, a, a Bundesliga game. Yes. Uh, and you've done a couple of those, right, for, for Fox? Yeah, I started with them in October when I knew I wasn't staying with the Sounders. And mm-hmm. actually on the day that I announced that I'd be leaving the Sounders, mm-hmm. I did my first game for Fox. And it was a very surreal day, actually. I had I all bet. these messages flying in. I'm sure we'll get to that. And yeah, I've done a, a, a stack of games for them on European soccer. So almost going back to my roots, not Premier League, that's with NBC and our old mm. buddy Arlo White. He's got that hammered up. Nobody's getting in there with him. He anymore. has. He's in America right now. He's at Madison Square Garden as we speak on this indeterminate time in this indeterminate building. <laughs> and uh, doing some Bundesliga, the German League, and Europa League. So, mm. yeah, I think you were watching Stuttgart against Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, because I'm a huge Stuttgart fan. Yeah, what was the score again, guys? <laughs> Something to know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I can't remember I myself yeah. to be honest. Yeah, no. Right. Well, let me. I, I want to get to some of the other stuff you're doing, but let, let's. You know, we brought it up. Let, let's back up and go to last October. The Sounders. Really, I thought everybody kind of felt like out of the blue. I don't know how out of the blue it was for you. Said, okay, we're not going to renew your contract now. Before we get into anything, let's just say that happens in the broadcast business. Mm-hmm. It's happening right now somewhere. It's going to happen tomorrow. But it doesn't make it any easier when fans of, of a particular broadcaster get blindsided. I think Sounders fans felt a little bit blindsided. There wasn't some big cry to get rid of Ross Fletcher. How blindsided were you by this? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought about this a lot at the time because it was, without trying to go into too many details, because there are certain confidences and I still mm. have a lot of respect for a lot of the people in that place, Right, went in and the the idea was we'd have a meeting about contract. So, you know, you go in and think, well, okay, I'm thinking about this because clearly we'd still like to have stayed on with the Sounders. Or we don't need this necessarily. What if they offer that? Da, da, da. Mm. And you go through all these scenarios. Right, yeah. And in my head, I didn't really think that it would be that hammer dropping to say that, thanks very much for your time, but we no longer require your services. So, I, and was it pretty quick? Was it like you walk in and you sit down and they go, "Hey, uh, hi. Uh, by the way, we're not bringing you back." Uh, I don't want to go too much into that. I don't think that's probably fair to the people we had the conversations with, and that uh-huh. will always remain between between me and them. Right. But I don't think. Let, let's just say it's not a lengthy situation, is it? There's when, no easy way have, to do there's it. There's no easy way for In them. defense of the Sounders, there's no easy way to say, see you later, we're not yeah, bringing you exactly. back. exactly. And yeah. also, to be to be honest, I was, I was told with a good few months left on my contract, mm. which meant I had plenty of time to look elsewhere. Yeah. They could have just said right at the end of the season, right, right okay, thanks very much, off you go, and then left me a day, a two, two days, a week or whatever. And that's why I say I still have a lot of respect for a lot of people in that organisation mm-hmm. because they, while ever they wanted to move in a different direction, they still gave me the opportunity to 
and the time, most importantly, to figure out what I was doing next. Because right. remember, I'm, I'm a transplant. I'm not an American. I'm not from Where Seattle. From? Where are you from? You're not from America? What? This isn't an American accent? <laughs> really? I thought I'd lost that Britishness. I know. So, so you're not from here. Huh? I don't feel near as yeah. bad now. You're just taking an American's <laughs> job is what you're doing. Well, exactly. And you think um, of you think of maybe someone who lives in the same city and has the same, has a big network and has a family that's here, then okay, maybe they'll be able to find another job here. But for yeah. me as a as a Brit who was brought in specifically by the organization from somewhere four and a half thousand miles away, you've got a lot more to think about than just, oh, let's find another job because there's mm-hmm. only one big soccer play-by-play job in this city. So I needed right. time to figure that out. And actually, joyfully, we've been able to find a way to stay in Seattle because right. we love the place so much. And that episode also made me think how much we love the people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, mm-hmm. wherever you are, yeah. it's about people. It's right. about the relationships you have. Because you want to um, stay here, right? I mean, if it all works out, you guys as a family want to stay here in Seattle if you can, right? Well, we've been here four years. Right. You know, we've got green cards. That means we're permanent residents. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck in nine months' time, I could apply for citizenship. Then I would be like you. I'd be a U.S. guy. Wow. Well, we'll have a party if you get U.S. citizenship, <laughs> man. That'll be big. I've got an American-born daughter. Yeah. Uh, the family's, you know, it's it's very much settled in mm-hmm. Seattle, not just the states, in Seattle itself. And right. we've got a great network of friends here. So we didn't really, at the time, think, well, that's it. We're going to go back to the U.K. Right. Because Seattle is home for us. Mm-hmm. It's been home for a good few years. And on a whim, we weren't going to make that snap decision because it wasn't the case of making a snap decision. And we had time to figure it out. And luckily enough, we've stuck around. And I think we're we're enjoying that decision. You've got such a a great, you know, attitude about things and a great personality and all that. But how long did it take you to not be angry about this? I don't I don't know if I ever was angry. You know, because you say at the time. You said you said at the start of our chat, mm-hmm. it happens. Right, right. Look, yeah. it, it's sports. Mm-hmm. I had a certain length of contract, and I actually chose that length of contract and knew that at the end of it, there were no guarantees. Right, right. But then you think, well, hang on, we increased the ratings by 33% two years ago, another 11% the final year. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, I thought I was doing a pretty decent job, a half-decent job, whatever. Did you fight for uh, yourself at all in the meeting? Did you say, hey, wait a minute, or did you just go, well, whatever, I, this is... I mean, you, you're not just going to sit there and take it, are you? But right, it, right. It was, all, yeah. it was all very cordial, and, and, yeah. and I had some cordial chats. So I don't ever think anger came into the equation, no. No bullocks? I think it was a re- <laughs> There was never a bullocks? It was, it was Isn't a re- that what you'd say, bullocks? I think, moreover, there was a sadness. I right, think there was a sadness right. because... Yeah. We'd figured out as a family we we uh, didn't want it to end, and as yeah. a job it was very very enjoyable. Mm. Look, but look, I spent sixteen years with the BBC in the UK. Arguably, that was just as tough to move away from because that was a very good, very steady career right. with the world's biggest and greatest broadcasting institution. Mm-hmm. And I took a big gamble coming to the US, where I was broadcasting in a league that doesn't have the same cachet as home, right. didn't have anywhere near the same size of audience. 
Uh, but it was all about the journey and all about the 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 idea that, that this this is a, a franchise and a sport that is growing that was on the up. Uh, and to leave that behind, I think, was probably one of the biggest sadnesses that I felt I still had yeah. unfinished business. Right. Even after knowing I wouldn't be continuing with the Sounders, my one biggest hope was that they would get to MLS Cup final, the mm. pinnacle of the sport in the US for the club teams right. and win and I'd be able to call that winning goal. Mm. And I still really wanted to be able to do that. So, you know, just the the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Has it has it changed the way you look at the matches? I mean, do you find yourself, I'm not going to say rooting against the Sounders because I think you have a love for the franchise and the mm. team. And the, mm. But do you find yourself, you know, watching differently? Well, it's an interesting question because this last few days I went in person to watch my first Sounders match of the year and I went as a fan. Who's you in Montreal? Yeah, the Montreal game. So you're going and you're sitting in the stands. So yeah, I go and the first thing is I'm thinking at home it's three hours to kick off. I should be at the stadium by now in a production yeah, meeting yeah. wearing my tie and my pocket square and letting Marcus <laughs> Hanneman, you know, start to eat his third place of mac, mac and cheese already. Uh, and, and Steve Zakowani turned up five minutes late. Uh, but, you know, all those funny little things that you're used to in your, in your routine. Yeah. Um, and I was, oh, okay, two hours to kick. I'm still at home. And then getting picked up by Buddy and mm. driving down and seeing everybody spilling out of the pubs and bars with probably 45 minutes to kick and then walking into the stadium in my normal street clothes, buying a pint of beer and then heading down to my seat, which is a a row back from where I used to have season tickets as an employee of the Sounders. Well, they wanted those back? uh, Well, of course, that's the first thing they said. They said, by the way. and. uh, it's funny because I'm on the other end of things now where always people would say to me, hey, any chance I could get a couple of tickets for this weekend's game? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was me saying to my friend, hey, any chance I can come yeah, with you awesome. to the Sounders? Look, I don't mind buying my ticket. Of course I don't. But I am now, and I always was, but now I'm solely a Sounders fan. Mm-hmm. And to answer your question, I go in there rooting for the Sounders as much as I would have liked to have continued to have been the play-by-play announcer. Right. It doesn't, I suppose, chip away at my, my um, joy of watching them as mm. a team. Totally different experience. Totally different experience. Right. Didn't know quite how it would be um, in terms of watching it whether I'd start blurting out play-by-play in my seat and annoying yeah. everybody around Boy, that me. would just be the but, worst. I got to tell you, as somebody who really <laughs> likes you a lot and cares, that would be the worst if you start doing that. Don't start doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to. Don't worry. Don't worry. Although people keep tweeting me and, and, and texting me saying, hey, can you do one of those periscopes or something like yeah. that and, and do some play-by-play? But no, I've, I've had my time and I quite enjoyed yeah. sitting there and just nudging my, my buddy and saying, why... Why is Dempsey dropping deep here? Why didn't Mears hit that first time right. ball? And great tackle by Ozzy. Is he back to his best? And just being like a fan. Right. You've got to remember that while ever I was here as, as the Sounders broadcaster, I'd never been to a game without working. Right. So this right. was a very bizarre experience for me. And also back to my time in the UK because I was working a heck of a lot as a broadcaster there in sports. I would hardly ever go to a sporting event, any sporting event, as a fan because you were working it. So very different for me, very different experience. And you kind of see the game in a different way just because you have less crap in your mind to have to think about. No, absolutely. You're no longer concentrating on who's that guy over on the far side of the field 
thinking of the right phraseology, throwing questions to Casey Keller, mm. looking at my notes, remembering all the, the pointless stats that I've got to throw out at people and building the narrative, chatting to my producer during the run of play about what replays we're going to show and when this is happening and that. I could just sit back with a beer and soak it all up. And it was, uh, it was quite cathartic in a way. You know what we could do? I could arrange this because I'm actually personal friends, close friends with the man. We could have Casey come down to where you're sitting and just, since you've probably missed this, give you a withering glance. Just give you one of those <laughs> one of those looks he gives when you say something he doesn't agree with. Just have him stand there for a minute and, and, and just to make you feel at home while you're at the match. That was one of the funny things that came <laughs> out of, of me leaving the Sounders. There was lots of speculation about the reasons why. Mm. And one of them, I get the odd tweet now and again when Casey and I were on TV that we look at each other apparently yeah. with an intense stare. Now, Casey does that to everybody. Exactly. Casey intensely like, stares at his breakfast cereal in the morning. And a couple of people said, well, I know the reason why. It's because Ross Fletcher and Casey Keller really hate each other. They don't <laughs> like each other. And he couldn't stand to be in the next, some, whatever. Mm. And the reality is we I probably spent more time with, with Casey than anybody else other than my wife right. in the these past four years. Um, well, how are you and your wife getting along? Uh, well, well, now we've adopted Casey. It's a little bit awkward, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Why do you hate Casey Keller? Let's get to the bottom of this. What is it he did? And that's the funny thing, that we would just talk for hours and hours about the game, and, and, yeah. and we, still, we still are in contact f- fairly regularly, and we have dinner, and we're good friends. So yeah. whoever yeah. it was that made that suggestion, don't worry, we're, we're buddies. It's funny, isn't it? People will kind of draw conclusions, and you go, nah, that's, it's, you know... It's just the way the world works. If, if we start guessing would you tell us if we were right here's why they got ready here's why they got here's what they did you, no. we've got, we haven't got long enough have, have you uh is it awkward or do, do you know costigan have you talked to him uh, oh no keith costigan from from his work at fox um i haven't met the guy actually i haven't really had the chance right. to meet the guy yeah right um, and it'd so, be kind of weird right now you know look for me i want to stay out of the way yeah, mainly. Yeah, yeah. And i think the reason right. I, I didn't go to a game for the first month or so was look it's a hard enough job being the announcer. It's an even harder job being the, the announcer after a guy who had a couple of thousand people sign a petition saying, please don't let him go. Right. Replacing a guy who's popular and, is hard. That's hard work. Yeah. And, and I don't want to do anything that gets in their way or makes their job harder. So, look, wish them all the very best and hope they do well. If, if And I've had conversations with Matt Johnson, the new radio play-by-play mm-hmm. guy, who was very good to phone me and say, look, this is what's happening. This is a situation. And again, we're buddies, good buddies right. from the time before when Matt was the, the radio pre halftime and post game presenter. And right. I work with him and he's now stepped into my old role on the radio. So, Which is good, by the way. That's one thing the Sounders have done out of this splitting the broadcast. I think is good. I think that's good for the fans is one thing that they've done, you know, to have a TV and a radio. The simulcast side of it, you always feel like you're getting cheated on radio because a TV broadcast is so much different. Oh, massively different, massively different. And on TV, and this is the thing, again, different maybe from British calls to American calls, there's much less in a TV call from a British guy than there is from an American guy, I think. It's almost that the American style is literally play by play, Mm -hmm. whereas the British style, having been honed over many decades, is is on television to let the pictures do the talking. Your job as the TV play-by-play guy is purely to to embellish, to add value to the pictures there, to make sense of what people can see, not to tell them what they can see, 
but to add value to what's already in front of your eyes. And it's not just American broadcasters, it's some Brits as well. And if you if you watch Mexican TV, they never shut up right, yeah, on the yeah, telly. And, right, and as, a right. Brit, as a Brit, I'm thinking, just please, rein it in a bit, rein it in a bit. Yeah. Uh, and that's why my style on radio is very different to how it is on TV. Right. Because on radio, you are painting the picture right. for the listener who 90% of the time can't see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So clearly, if you're letting the pictures tell the story on TV and there are no pictures to see on radio, you've got to have very different styles. So, yeah, I wish them well with that two-pronged, that two-pronged attack. All right, so we uh, Ross Fletcher's our guest on the GasCast, uh, Episode 5. So let's talk a little bit about the team. So there are, in addition to you, and you are, in, in all honesty, man, you're a Sounders icon. You had a great career there and some great calls, and it, it's a shame. I, I, I just I, I hate the way this happened. That being said, there are two other iconic Sounders figures that I think this shapes up as a very big year for, and they finally got a win the other night, and Dempsey scores the goal, so that's appropriate but I think for Deuce this is a gigantic year with Oba leaving can he really step in and fill a huge void and it's not all on him but a lot of it is they paid a lot of money to bring that guy in and the 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 thought was they're going to win championships and that hasn't happened yet you know he got involved in that silly altercation last year in the open cup when the open cup game right yeah yeah you know, I, the the legacy at this point is not what I would have thought for a guy like him. So let's talk a little bit about him, and then I want to talk about Ziggy too because it's a big year for him. Let, let's talk about Clint Dempsey and, and some, some thoughts on him and where he stands now as he as he hits the twilight. He's starting to move into the twilight of his career. Yeah, 33 years of age is, is no spring chicken these days, particularly for a forward. But look, there are players like Pizarro, Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga, who's, what, 37 and scored a hat-trick the other day. People can continue to go on. Francesco Totti at Roma is still an iconic figure playing for them. Uh, you can go all the way back to, to Cameroonian players in the World Cup at 40 back mm. in 1990. Roger Mir, who nearly put England out single-handedly. So you can go on and extend your career. But for Clint Dempsey, he doesn't have too many more good years ahead of him. Right. 33, as I said, in an increasingly athletic sport is no longer considered to be the prime of your career. It used to be about early 30s. Then it went back to just before 30. Now, prime of your career is considered probably 26, 27. Um, But Clint Dempsey is still one of the most talented players in all of Major League Soccer. But you made the point. Last season, uh, which was very up and down, He had a lot of injuries. He had the disciplinary situation. He was away with the national team a lot of the time. But he always had, pretty much always had, Oberfemi Martins alongside him. He's gunslinging, acrobatic, seat, you know, bum off your seat, exciting player to play alongside and produce some magic with. And there was a real dynamism between Martins and Dempsey. I think the best tandem in all of MLS. No question. They described it themselves. Dempsey will be asked this question every other week, pretty much. What is it that makes you and Martin so special? Because their chemistry was unique. And he said, look, I don't know, really. It's just like we're playing a game of pickup. And that is a very, very hard thing to replicate. And that's why this season, you've seen in the early struggles, 
why they're missing right. Oberfemi Martins and why Clint Dempsey is is becoming under even more scrutiny because everyone's expecting him to do the work of two or three guys playing already in several different positions. And there's a lot we can get into with Dempsey about what the true expectation should be. Right. And and that's, that's maybe a good question. How fair is it? You know, I'm not going to say, well, it's his fault they haven't won MLS Cup. That's not fair. But he's the highest paid guy now. All eyes are on him. I, I mean, what, what is, what is that? How would you grade the Dempsey experiment to this point? You know, for bringing him in, giving him the kind of money... It, it, it's a difficult one because they've produced in Open Cups, and I remember him being in the thick of things in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. And that's no small thing. This organization really yep. values that. Winning the Open Cup and getting into CONCACAF Champions League. They won the Supporters' Shield mm-hmm. two seasons ago for having the best regular season record. And, of course, Clint Dempsey played his part. But MLS, if you're judging success is all about getting to MLS Cup Final and winning it. And Seattle haven't really got that close. And they are one of the biggest spenders in the league. And a sizable chunk of that, six, seven million dollars a year, goes to Clint Dempsey. Mm-hmm. I remember this is a league that pays its lowest players around $50,000 a year. So there's a huge pressure on him. And I think almost too much pressure on Dempsey. This is an 11-man game in a 28-man squad scenario. He cannot single-handedly carry a team. And now, with the Sounders having sold their best player, Oberfemi Martins, two weeks before the start of the season, there's unrealistic expectations that Dempsey will go out there and score 20 goals. And of course, you've had this change of formation, which means that Dempsey isn't playing as a two-man strike force anymore. He's mm-hmm. not playing with Martins because he's gone. He hasn't really clicked with Valdez and Morris, and he hasn't been getting enough looks to try and create stuff. So the last game, Montreal, they bring him back into an attacking midfield role, essentially deeper, where he can find more of the ball. But then you have that conundrum, because he's deeper, he's not going to score as many goals or, or be as dangerous near to goal right. because he's not closer to goal. Right. And because they've moved him yeah. back in that position. And who do you have up front at that point? And are they as good as him? And I'm, I think... So I think overall, sorry, to, to, to yeah. go back to your point, until they win MLS Cup with Dempsey and the team, his signing for the money they paid would have to be seen as, as less than good, I mm-hmm. think. One thing about him that really has disappointed me, and I, I want to tread carefully here because nobody has to do anything, but I really hoped when they brought him in that he'd be willing to be a little more involved in the community, a little more involved in media. Now, I, I don't think any, I don't know if fans care about that. You know, maybe that's just, oh, the poor media guys. But you and I talked about this. We both were frustrated in our efforts to try and get interviews with him. And he just doesn't do them. And I, I would say, yeah, God, you know what? The MLS at this point in its life cannot afford to pay top-level guys and then have them not do any media. You are not getting the, the requisite bang for your buck if the fans don't have any feeling like they know you. And I'll just go right across the street to give you a great example of a guy who's the other way. Felix Hernandez, who English is his second language, and yet he does tons of interviews. He does all the goofy commercials. He has all kinds of fun. He clowns around at the ballpark. The fans feel like they know Felix. I don't know if Sounders fans feel like they know Deuce. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they don't want to. But, boy, I don't feel like I know him as somebody who observes the game. And I don't know what he owes 
us out of that? What do you what do you think when a guy's making that kind of money? That's a really interesting question because it all comes down to that guy himself. Does he care? Right. Do people know who he is. And I don't think he does. He's got a family, four children, likes the quiet life, goes fishing, and I, he's a pretty private individual. Hard and, to argue against that then, and, isn't and, it? And that is his choice. And I'm sure there's a there's a contractual situation like there is with everybody where it's stipulated what he's expected to do and what he isn't expected mm. to do. All you can do really is compare and you bring up Felix Hernandez. I'll bring a different player, but from MLS, to give you an idea of what can be done. Kaká, mm-hmm, right. a Ballon d'Or winner, the only Ballon d'Or winner for world's best soccer player um, before Messi and Ronaldo. He was the last guy to win it. In 2007, I think. Not, just, not, they don't get a lot of those in MLS. <laughs> you don't get many world's best players yeah. in Major League Soccer. And Kakar plays for Orlando City. He's now in his second season. And he has been terrific for them. Very, very engaged in mm-hmm. the community. And he bought into that. He knew coming to MLS, it wasn't just a last paycheck having played for some of the world's greatest teams, Real Madrid, AC Milan. He knew that he was coming to be a marketing tool for the league as well. And he's really bought into that with his interactions on social media, with the community work he does, with the number of interviews that he's available for. You see a marked difference between someone like Kaká, who's a former World Player of the Year, and Clint Dempsey. But I think that just identifies them as people and their outlook, what they want to get out of it, and their wills. There's always a a back and forth because if you're... To, in defense of the player, if you're open and you're very high profile to doing whatever people want, there'll always be far more requests on you. If you shut right. it down, then there won't be quite as many, although they'll still keep on coming in. Yeah. So there's always an element of that, that, oh, if I do open myself up, have I then set a precedent that I don't want to continue? But yeah, I would love to see Clint Dempsey do more in the community. Let's not just single out Clint Dempsey. Obafemi Martins did right. very little as well. Right. The two most high-profile high guys. And I always felt bad in a way for Brad Evans because he is, <laughs> he is a guy who will do pretty much anything for the yeah. organization because he, he truly cares about the other side of things. Yeah. But whenever there was a situation where they needed a profile figure... Dempsey and Martins weren't available, which was very frequent. It would more often than not be Brad Evans, but he was very willing to do that. And I think to his eternal credit. So uh, it's it's horses for courses. It's an interesting one. And then it goes back to, well, if the club doesn't push Dempsey to do it, right. are they getting what they need out of this deal? So there's all sorts of dynamics that go into it. I just hear, and and maybe this is too personal on it, but I just hear, you know, People want more soccer coverage, and the MLS wants more. And, the, and I talk to the Sounders, like, how come we don't get more coverage? And I think, you know, in the summer of 2014, for 26 consecutive Tuesday nights, I did a, an hour-long talk show on KJR, 100% devoted to the Sounders and MLS. 100%. And we never had Dempsey, and we never had Oba. And I'm like, you yeah, don't sit there and tell me you need more content. And then when somebody's doing it, you can't even get the big... I mean, when I was doing Sonic shows, Gary Payton came on, Sean Kemp came on. With the Mariners, we got the biggest... So now I'm getting personal and I'm on my soapbox and I end up sounding like, you know, I'm I'm hurt about this. I just kind of think the MLS isn't big enough yet that they can afford to be that cavalier 
about things, and I think they should push guys to maybe get out and do a little absolutely, more. Absolutely. Absolutely they should because this is a league that still needs to grow, that still doesn't yeah. get anywhere near the same level of coverage as MLB, NBA, and NHL. Yeah. But you have to look at it on the other side of, of the coin for for those, those guys who just mentioned. There's always context, and Dempsey Martins came via in some way, shape, or form, the Premier League in England and I have a lot of experience dealing with that, where basically players do very little community work per se. You get very few guys that do it, and it's seen as the norm to say no. Right. Whereas the American culture in the other sports is you have to say yes. In the Premier League, it's no, and you see a few of those guys bringing that no attitude over to MLS and it's a bit of a struggle for teams and higher ups to use these people where they desperately are needed to market because star power sells. We all know that. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as we love the the lower paid, lesser lights and quite often they're more striking personalities and have better stories to tell. Right. It's still those star names that will get you column inches and broadcast time. And in England, the the difference being obvious, Premier League is robust. It's a beast. Is a beast. And it doesn't here, need marketing. Yeah, MLS is still in need of those kind of things. So let's not let's not leave Deuce just sitting there on the ground and keep kicking him while he's down. And to be it, fair to him, this year he's probably done more than I've seen in a, yeah. in, in, since he's been with the Sounders. So and, and the fans only care to a certain extent. They want him to score goals and they want the Sounders to win. And the other stuff, back, ah, whatever. You yeah. know, if he won't talk to you, big deal. <laughs> and his play the other night was the kind of dramatic delivering in the clutch performance that a guy of his legacy is required to do again and again and again. And it really couldn't have come at a bigger time because they're staring at an 0-3 and one start, or maybe 0-4 if Montreal gets a late one. And instead yeah. Dempsey really flipped the uh, the emotion of that game. He can, he can do it. There's there's no doubting his ability. Uh, it's just about finding him the right combination of players to work with and the right system to put him in there. And then the rest, you leave and trust that he will deliver. He delivered against Montreal. Terrible goalkeeping, by the way. I'm sure Casey Keller will be shouting that in our ears <laughs> right now. That header was was pretty soft. Yeah. Take nothing away from Dempsey. He scored the winning goal. But if Evan Bush had stayed on his line rather than coming for a ball, he was never going to get. He was out it would have been yeah. a pretty easy save. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. Dempsey was there. He rose above his marker. He got the winning goal. Seattle need a lot more from him this season, given the way the, the team has started. Other uh, icon that I want to talk about is Ziggy. I like Ziggy Schmidt. I, I, he just, I've always had a great relationship with him. I haven't talked to him much of, of late, but I like the guy a lot. I always say to people, be careful. Don't get bored with winning. People are like, they're going to get rid of Ziggy so they can get to the next level. So, geez, you know what? Every year with Ziggy, they're in the hunt. That is something. And yet, the fans have a point. Hey, we've had, we got all the money. we got this great roster. How are we not winning? How do we evaluate Ziggy at this point? And is, is this a make-or-break year for him? I think it is a make-or-break make year. I think it has to be. You're mm-hmm. into year eight with all the, the, the factors that you've just mentioned, and they haven't come close. They haven't been to an MLS Cup final. LA Galaxy have always had their number when it comes to a conference final, and now Portland Timbers, the Sounders' greatest, most bitter rivals, have gone and done it. They've gone and won MLS Cup, having only come into the league in 2011, two years after the Sounders started. So you've got to measure this year 
as MLS Cup or bust. And I actually thought last year was MLS Cup or bust. And I, I, I don't know the, the real reasons why Ziggy was either kept or, or whether there were serious deliberations about not keeping him on. Once was, they saved as much money by bouncing you, they were able to give it to him and keep him for another year. <laughs> yeah, That's what ten, happened. Tenfold more. So we're not bringing but, Ross back so we can pay Ziggy. Exactly. But uh, as a guy, like you say, He's quite captivating as an individual. We would always sit down on the day before a game or the morning of a road game with Ziggy Schmidt as a broadcast team just to talk about things. You'd get the team news, you'd get injury news, any of his thoughts. And he's a terrific uh, storyteller. Right. And you could just sit back, and I think every production meeting we had, we'd always shoot off on some slight tangent sure. where he'd be able to spin us a yarn from days gone by that was thoroughly entertaining. And he's just a very, very warm guy in that regard. He's always got a story, a tremendous mm -hmm. soccer brain as well. I don't know how many people watch more soccer than Ziggy. He's just, he just feeds off it. Right. Uh, but ultimately, you're judged by results. He's done a terrific job in bringing in the Supporters' Shield and those Open Cup triumphs. But we keep coming back to that central theme. Right. It's all about winning MLS Cup. And as one of the biggest franchises in Major League Soccer, he's got to get it done. The pressure is definitely on. What do you think he could do better? And, and that's a weird question. Again, he's eight years here with some great success. He won a championship with the LA Galaxy. He won championships in college. This guy knows the sport. It's not like he's some stumble bum off the street. But when fans talk to you, because I tend to roll my eyes because fans always want the coach fired in every sport. What are the things that maybe people say where they're, they've got a reasonable complaint and say, yeah, this is maybe something they could do different or better? The, the first thing that springs into my mind is, is tactical selections in playoff matches. Mm -hmm. I remember um, a couple of different examples that made you think, why is this happening? What was the one down in at Portland the one year? It might have been your first Shall, year. No, it wasn't the first year. Shelry Joseph yeah, 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 comes right. in from the cold and plays up front. Yeah. A holding midfielder at 35 who'd been injured for most of the season and was never a regular, all of a sudden is thrown into the fire. Yeah, right. And I think, to be to be fair, Obafemi Martins was injured or was on the bench. But still, you're thinking, this is a crazy idea. Yeah. This guy is not going to get us anywhere. His, his best days are clearly behind him, uh, all being well, having had a really good career in MLS. But right. you're thinking, Shalry Joseph in one of the biggest games of the season, having not played that position before in a do-or-die match, and it was, in the end, a terrible choice right. in a crucial match. There was another one at LA Galaxy, and I think the Western Conference final first leg in 2012, where Alex Kasky played in midfield. And again, this is nothing personal on any of these players. It's about the decision-making process, and you're asking me the question about what could Ziggy do better. And Kasky hadn't started an MLS game since August. And this is now, what, November time? And he comes in on the right-hand side of midfield from the cold. He'd only played a couple of Champions League games in between. And I think Ziggy said the reason was he wanted better possession of the team. But it totally backfired, and Seattle lost the game 3-0. And that was their season done. And it's these surprises that Ziggy threw in in playoff games that always perplex me. Yeah. And I think, again, I'm not a coach and I'm not telling Ziggy how to do his job, but those are the things that first sprang to mind when it comes to what, what could he do better? I'm just answering the question honestly. Yeah. They're the things that have always made me think, 
really? Yeah, yeah. Just as, as now, as a, as a fan. Yeah. I mean, stick me in there as the coach, and I'll probably be fired within two weeks. I wouldn't have a clue. Right. But that was just one of those moments, a couple of those moments where you're thinking, why is this happening? Sometimes coaches try to outsmart themselves. Yeah. They think too much. They yeah. overthink yeah. situations. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you end up going, going around it so many times. Right that you come out with this illogical conclusion that you're sure will either bamboos or the opposition or give your own team a boost. Of course, they're doing it for the right reasons, but sometimes those reasons get mixed and muddled. Yeah, and he's he's under the heat. He's been under the heat for a while. There's a lot of fans that just want to see a change because, again, fans get tired of seeing the same thing. And they just, But I always say, I say, you just be careful. I mean, again, I'll, I'll draw some parallels here. You know, it isn't always, nothing's 100%, but you think in this town, you know, George Carl, the knock on George with the Sonics was, oh yeah, they're winning all these games. They can't get to, they can't win the NBA. Led to one of my favorite lines ever from George when he said, "Gas, I hear people say we need a coach to get us to the next level. We're in the NBA. What's the next level? Mars?" <laughs> George probably had a couple f bobs in there, knowing. <laughs> but but you know, they'd win and they'd win and they'd win. And people said, "We got to get rid of George so we can get." To, and then they got rid of George, and the Sonics went so far downhill. And this is a you can't draw a line from George getting fired to them going to Oklahoma. But, I mean, good Lord, the the train went off the tracks when they got rid of George. We saw it with the Mariners. They got rid of Lou. They didn't get rid of Lou. Lou wanted to leave. And it, it, But, but anyway, you have a guy who's there for eight years and winning. He leaves. They've never found the, the key to success again. And the Seahawks almost had this happen when they ran Holmgren off and they brought Jim Mora in, and they were sharp enough after a year to see that Mora was not a fit here, and then they just got... They made an incredibly brilliant move and brought in Carroll, and look how it's worked out. But if you, you but if you're if you're stating your aim as being to win MLS Cup, Ziggy hasn't won MLS Cup with right, Seattle in right, seven years, right. so you have more leeway if right. you wanted to make that change. And, and you do, and 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 I guess what I'd say is just changing doesn't mean that's going to happen. And sometimes what it can mean is you you just you you have trouble winning. You've got to have a plan. You've right. got to have a succession plan in place. If you're removing somebody or not renewing somebody you've got to have a plan and know full well that that is going to be successful or as successful as you think it can be right so it's right. not as easy as just flicking the switch bringing a new guy in and all of a sudden everything's rosy how do you think they're going to do this year so they're they're one and three now and getting that win is huge i think i go down to houston we'll see what happens this weekend what do you think the Sounders fate will be this year playoffs or no would, would this be a year they're oh, not Oh come on make everybody makes the playoffs it's major league right. soccer ah some teams don't it's, it's it's one of my pet hates actually that coaches will come out at the start of a season and say our minimum requirements is playoffs I or <laughs> I will see playoffs as a success this year when more than 50% of the teams in your league mm-hmm. make the postseason that isn't success you could finish in the bottom half of the Supporters' Shield standings and still claim, in your own mind, a success because you finished 12th out of 20 but made the postseason. Mm. And it rather ridicules and cheapens the postseason for me. Of course, I'm a Brit. I'm a traditionalist. I like right. I like a single-league table where over eight, nine months, you can work out through the largest portion of evidence, 38 games or whatever, who rightfully is the best team because you've got the bigger sample size. Yeah. But yeah, coaches that say, look, playoffs is, is success. You can't buy that, people. You just can't. You have to have loftier ambitions. So I think for the Sounders, just making the playoffs 
isn't success. Making oh, yeah. the, the conference finals isn't success. They've got to go to MLS Cup final. And even then it might not be enough because this this fan base is hungry for more. Right. I think they will make the playoffs. The Western Conference is certainly better this year. Mm. You've got Skelge and Gashi coming in at Colorado who have been a terrible team for the last two years. A very good striker to improve their lot not least the fact that also getting Jermaine Jones, a seasoned US international, and Tim Howard arriving in the summer, the US number one goalkeeper, albeit on the way down, but still a very good addition. So Colorado, the worst team in Seattle's conference, have got better. They've right. also got Marco Papa. who right. scored a wonderful winning goal against LA Galaxy the other week in the 95th minute. Mm. Hello, Marco. He's back up. Um, and you've got San Jose with a pretty much brand new stadium that always lifts teams. Whether they've got enough quality, I'm not sure. These are teams that are always teetering around yeah. the edges of the playoffs. But I still think Seattle have got one of the most talented starting 11s in the league. The issue for me, and it's quite obvious, is depth. Mm. What they did last summer when they went on that run of eight defeats in nine, I think it was, was go out and, and spend the money. One of right. my old commentary colleagues in England, um, a guy called Ian Hall, who was from the old school. Yeah. And he had some wonderful old phrases. One of his that he would always he always bring out was, do you want jam today or jam tomorrow? <laughs> and it was always jam today. You take from the pot, and of course that pot is then bare down the line. And what the Sounders did was, I wouldn't say panic buy, but... They didn't coach their way or play their way out of that bad run of results. When they had a lot of injuries, they had the Dempsey suspension, they had international call-ups, but the squad couldn't get it done in the summer. Instead, they went out and bought a lot of players. And Garth Lagerway, the general manager, effectively admitted in the off-season, all the new money, this new targeted allocation money for 2016, we actually, guys... We spent it last year. We got our jam back back then. We had we had jam yesterday <laughs> rather than jam today. So that left them in the situation in the winter of not only being unable to bring in any significant reinforcements, but having to let go a lot of the quality depth. Marco Papa goes. Very good creative midfielder who can chip in. Okay, should get more assists than five or six a season, but can turn a game. We saw that mm. winning the Supporters' Shield title on the last day of 2014 against the LA. Chad Barrett, who was always good for five or six goals off the bench. Um, you had the retirement of Gonzalo Pineda, who was a, a bossy midfield general who right. used all that now that wily experience. And several other guys went. Andy Rose, a dependable midfielder. Lamar Nagel goes, who only a year and a half ago got you nine goals and nine assists. And you didn't really replace that with any meaningful depth. You replaced it with youngsters who were untried and you just don't know necessarily whether they're going to turn out. So from, from 1 to 11, maybe 1 to 13, the Sounders are very strong. But they're nowhere near as strong as they were further down that depth chart and trust me you're going to get injuries and suspensions through the year so that might be one of their issues and of course the big loss of your best player right Obafemi Martins who you sell two weeks before the start of the season you never know when 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 teams are going to come in and bid for players you can't control that of course but still you build a whole new system a 4-3-3 system around the fact that you have this wealth of attacking options and then one of them your top scorer is off 
all of a sudden you're thinking, is this really worth it anymore? Or I'm thinking, is it worth it? Having had the same 4-4-2 system for pretty much 95% of the Sounders games since they came into the league in 2009. So you throw in all of those factors and I've probably waffled on for 10 minutes to bring it back to your original point. you got a lot of questions but, about this team. Yeah, I have. But I, I think they will be all right for the playoffs. But I don't know whether they are. Well, they're not. They're not a better team than they were last year mm-hmm. as a whole. They really aren't. So how are they going to get better? Well, they've talked about bringing in a, a new central attacking midfielder. And again, there have been some contradictory statements. On one hand, uh, Garth Lagerway said, look, we're, we're in no rush to bring in this attacking midfielder. But then almost in the same breath said, if Andreas Evenschitz gets injured, I'd be worried about our creative options going forward. Yeah. Well, which one is it? <laughs> They're going to bring somebody in, I'm sure, but it will take them time to get yeah. acclimatised or acclimated. And you only had to look at Obafemi Martin's first season when he scored single-digit goals. It doesn't guarantee bringing in a quality player that they'll immediately be able to make an impact. You can't bank on that. So I think this is, the Sounders have probably gone backwards a little bit this year because of the travails of last summer. They're paying a bit for that. Yeah, and it sounds to me like you could be talked into the idea that they might not make the playoffs if you figure Galaxy's going to be good, Dallas is off to a great start, as you mentioned, Colorado's on the improve, Portland's a defending champs. Vancouver are okay. But, you know, all of a sudden, and you know... It's not, a fight. Yeah. It's a fight. It's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, so it's going to be an intriguing year. Yeah, I think they did a magnificent job making the playoffs in their first year. Mm. Really, really great job. And you've seen the Orlando City and New York experiences, the, the uh, right. New York City FC team failing to make the playoffs in their first year with incredibly high-priced talent. Mm. So then, okay, MLS was a different beast when the Sounders came in in 2009. But take nothing away, they did a magnificent job of making the playoffs then. But I don't think they've really managed to capitalise on that to their fullest extent. And of course they haven't because they haven't got MLS Cup in their locker. So uh, it's a much more competitive marketplace Major League Soccer than it ever was because of expansion, because of more money coming into the league and it's making it increasingly difficult for Seattle to win that elusive MLS Cup. We got to get you out of the house more often. You got a lot to say. I got plenty are, are you walking around? And shit? Maybe this is why your daughter is up in the middle of the night going, Daddy, please stop talking about the Sounders. I, I, can't, yeah, I can't believe it. I'm four hours <laughs> sleep and I'm still going in the evening. Uh, just a quick thought. Is the, is is what we're seeing from the Foxes of Leicester City? Is this is it the greatest story in English soccer history? Is it one of the greatest stories in English soccer? How would you put it as a lifelong student of the game over there to see a team that was this close? I'm I'm holding my my thumb and my forefinger mm. this close to being bounced out last year and relegated, and now they are seven points to the good with I think six games left. Yeah, the city of my birth. I lived for my 18 years of my my life 10 miles away from Leicester and they were terrible. <laughs> they were riotously bad. And I was never a Leicester fan. I'm not trying to jump on their bandwagon right, now. Right. But to see what's happened to that team in that city that was pretty much a no-mark city known for its high multiculturalism but nothing more than the fact they discovered the bones of Richard III in a, in a parking lot, <laughs> underneath a parking lot. And this guy was f- king 500 years ago in England. It wasn't on the map at all. And I have to agree with you. I think it is, 
I, I, I couldn't think definitively. It's the, the biggest story is always weird. Story. But yeah, but it's one of them, it's right? It's definitely one of. It's one of those real Cinderella stories that you, you hope they never have to leave at midnight if midnight is the 38th game of the Premier League season and it all falls apart. It would be unbelievable for them to win the title. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City have all had terrible seasons, which has opened the door for Leicester. Mm. But still, take zero, zero away from what they've been able to do because it is quite remarkable. And to maintain that consistency, unbelievable. This was a team two years ago that was barely in the second tier of English soccer. They were in the third tier for a while. They shouldn't ever have been in the third tier. They went into administration because their debts were so bad about 14 years ago. And everybody thought the end is not nigh because it was too big to go under but that this club was going to be just mired in mediocrity for millennia to come. And then Claudio Ranieri has come in with his bribes of pizza if they win and champagne and whatever and just turned this squad of of talented guys, but a few rejects and discards and cheap buys and hidden gems into one of the great Premier League teams. To be able to be top is a sensational story. And I was up, it was mainly my daughter's fault, but even I, who who hates getting up early, was up at 5.30am Pacific this last Sunday to watch Leicester City playing in their game against Southampton because it's just too spine-tingling to miss out on (laughs) if you're a soccer fan. And to your point earlier, with no playoffs over in, in the Premier League, Mark Albrighton said today what they've done will mean nothing if they don't win the Premier League now. And, you know, they're just – it's not a foregone conclusion. I mean, they, 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 they've they got six points, and that's or seven points. That's good, but six matches left. There's still enough time. It's so interesting, that quote. So interesting you bring that quote up because Ranieri, the coach, the manager, for the longest time has never even paid the slightest bit of notice mm. to the opportunity that lies in front of them. Obviously trying to play down expectations. So his player there, Mark Albright, has just kind of blown the bloody tin roof off it, hasn't he? Because Ranieri said at one point when they got to 40 points, well, that's enough to avoid relegation to the championship. Yeah. That's generally the cutoff point. Then they had enough points to be qualified for the Europa League. And he said, well, at least we're playing in Europe next season. But now they're daring to dream. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it really is. Because that league is so top-heavy, it's neat to get somebody from where. Because you look behind them in the standings, and the standings look normal. Yeah. The next five clubs, like, yeah, that's about how you'd figure it would look. And here's Leicester City up there at the top. And we said probably three, four, five years ago, it'll never happen again in this era of the Premier League. It will never happen where a provincial team like Nottingham Forest, who won under Brian Clough in 1978, Aston Villa, who won the title in, what, 1980, was it? It will never happen again where a a mid-sized provincial team will win because the Premier League skewed all the finances and the money towards the big beasts. The big Manchester United... Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, that they were just going to form this cartel of championships. And now you've seen Leicester peeking their way through all of those teams. It is 
almost a miracle. And if there aren't 25 feature-length movies made <laughs> on this achievement, if and when they do it, I will eat the hat you're currently wearing. My Friday Harbor hat? No, I will not give it up. Uh, Ross, it's great to see you again. Uh, I think all Sounder fans uh, miss you, and it's a shame the way things happen, but they do happen, as we talked about. Uh, and I know we're going to hear you doing a lot of other things in the future. Uh, enjoy. You're, you're, you're going back home, right? Yeah, I'm going back for a quick vacation, uh, see some family, uh, and come back here in a couple of weeks' time. So a bit of R&R, which will be nice. Good. And we'll see you again soon. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate it. Great to see you. He'll be leaving now. Notify security. Ross Fletcher headed out of our secret broadcast location. Great chatting with him. And that uh, that is a massive, by far the longest gas cast ever uh, with our friend Ross Fletcher. We're back again uh, next week at citizensounder.com.